Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Did you miss us? It's been a while. This is Brendan Sinone joining me, Chris Nee. Uh, we're here to catch up on, uh, it's been probably about a month since we've done one of these. Uh, we've been out of, out of town, traveling. Uh, I had a bachelor party. Chris, how many times is too many times to throw up in an evening? Three. Uh, S- three is a benchmark. Don't go beyond three. I threw up seven times. Yeah, you probably should have died that night. <laughs> But I didn't. I'm here. But, but yeah, we uh, we've we've all been busy. Life happens, you know, guys. So we're here to catch up on. Uh, there's been a fairly active summer, given that it's May. Uh, I don't know where to start. I guess let's go with what's news and what's topical, and that is regarding uh, Josh Ball and uh, what looks like a an imminent suspension from Florida State on the academic side. Uh, we'll be serious about this because obviously it's not, you know, it's, it's something to take seriously. You're talking about uh, dating violence and that kind of stuff. Uh, but but essentially where we're at, and I'll try to explain it to you guys best I can. I do suggest you go over to the Knowles 24-7 and check out. We've had a couple stories on it, including one uh, from the previous night uh, that, that was pretty in-depth about what to expect. But essentially Josh Ball is facing um, a suspension. He's entitled to due process, but it's from the academic side. Uh, for violating a code of conduct and its relation to, to dating violence. And this is something that had been in the news previously with, with his relationship uh, with this woman. She's a student, and she's accused him previously of, of being physical with her and being physical with others. So obviously it's, it's something that I think uh, if those allegations are true and it's a different set of standards for FSU than it is in you know, court or, or anything you know in the judicial system, uh, but it's something that's serious and, and uh one for the the perspective of Josh Ball, uh, and and just his you know where his career goes, and then two, just for him as a human being, like that's it's obviously something that's that's concerning. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's out of the hands of football. It's not a football situation. It's a mm-hmm. university situation and a personal situation. Um, Willie Taggart really has no say in this. Nobody in the football offices has a say in it. The university makes a decision. Just to clarify, it all relates to the one same incident that already was a criminal matter. Now the university's gotten around to dealing with it. It's not like there were two incidents and, you know, one's university, one was criminal. It's not that. That we know it's just correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, just to make sure people understand that's one singular event that's being discussed. I just hope that the process was handled correctly by all sides, that, you know, things were factual. Everybody, you know was honest in the situation that it comes about. Obviously, it's a big blow for football it, from an on-field sense. If they lose Josh, he's an experienced lineman at a position that they don't have a whole lot of depth. And that's kind of, I guess, where we transition with this conversation is what does FSU do if Josh Ball is unavailable this year, which, you know, as we understand the situation today, we believe is going to be the case. Well, yeah, let's let's focus on that because everything else that we're talking about is probably outside of our our depth. Our, yeah. our depth, and uh, we fully admit that. And this is for a podcast to have have fun. Um, but again, if you want details on the case or the uh, you know just the way the university is handling it, uh, go to Knowles twenty four seven. We have a pretty in depth write up. So yeah, what Brendan wrote last evening does a good job of explaining a situation that me, me nor him fully understood yesterday when we kind of had to jump into the pool and deal with it. Yeah. Um, Brendan had some very good conversations last evening and got a nice layout of how Josh goes about dealing with this situation going forward and what's next for him from a university side with regards to the uh, ruling that came about. Resolution would probably be within 30 days at the most, uh, depending on the appeal process, and that's assuming that he does appeal it and, and that. So 
football-wise. Uh, one thing that I think is one, – one thing that I noticed from just reading the, the message board uh, is – Oddly enough, people understand how big of a blow this is. I think people look at him struggling last year as a redshirt freshman, and he did. He was their worst-graded offensive lineman for PFF, significantly one of the worst tackles in the country. He was put in a position to play too early, and I think that was pretty clear early on. They didn't have a whole lot of options uh, because of the injuries they had on the interior of the offensive line. Of course, Derek Kelly to kick inside. Uh, but like you alluded to, Chris, at a position where there isn't a ton of depth, and <coughs> certainly, bless you, not a lot of ex- – or excuse you, which one was it? I don't know. But <laughs> in a position where there's not a lot of experience, uh, that, it's a significant loss because you didn't have a whole lot of, if, if it is a loss indeed, uh, you didn't have a whole lot of room for or margin for error at that position. Yeah, I think the most basic way of looking at it is, yes, he didn't play great, but he played because he was the best option. And since that season ended, do they have a better option that's emerged? I would say the answer is probably a no. There's nobody coming in adding to the roster unless they get a, a graduate transfer or something like that this summer who you can immediately look at and be like, that guy can step right in and take that role over. I think a guy like Derek Kelly gives you some flexibility. He can slide out there. Landon Dickerson's now a guy who could potentially slide outside. They tried Mike Arnold in the spring at tackle, but it was, to me, not a very impressive experiment. Juwan that's, Williams, that's, a, that's a work in progress. Okay. Yeah, Juwan Williams is a great mystery of all of this. He's never really been healthy enough to show us what he's capable of. But mm-hmm. physically, athletically, he looks apart. He's the dude on the roster that looks the most like a left tackle should look. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, Josh worked a lot at right tackle. But at that's the end great. of the day, you start at left tackle and you figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of you know view this whole thing going. I you know. Willie's on the tour this spring telling people he thinks the O-line's going to be better. I'll believe it when I see it. I just don't think the talent's all that good in that group, and the depth certainly isn't very good nor proven. Well, I think the the silver lining, or at least the glimmer of hope that you have for the offensive line is the system they're going to implement yeah. may be more favorable if you're getting rid of the ball a little bit more quickly. You can mask yeah. what, what you're doing offensively. To the yeah. extent of which you can, I... I don't know, frankly, but I do think that that at least is something that you could be optimistic about. You're not going to ask. But if it comes to not cracking time where you need that play and you need the protection to hold up or the push to be there, I don't know if that group is truly up to par for what you're going to need. A lot of what they're trying to do with that group, from my understanding, is is kind of strip them down um, and build up confidence because they felt like those guys were just beat down so much under the previous staff. Um, And and that's not to say they're going to handle them with kids' gloves because we've. You've talked about Greg Fry a lot. Yeah, the way he, he'll get Fry, into it. Fry's very direct, very fiery. But when he's done making his point, he moves on. It's back to coaching and let's get better. Yeah, it, yeah. it's not a constant. I'm going to bang on your all every second of this practice. Mm-hmm. But he's going to demand you to be good. And the most impressive thing that I saw with him in the spring was when a guy screwed up. He usually brought up the fact that if you if you cause a letdown, you're letting down your mm-hmm. teammates. So he's putting the onus on the idea of we're a group which is always important with the offensive line. It's mm-hmm. about finding five guys that work well together. It's not necessarily your most your five most talented guys. It's sometimes the five that work the best as an individual five-man unit. Yeah, it, uh, and with that in mind, um, sorry, I feel like I'm kind of rusty. We haven't done this in a while, and I feel like I'm kind of working my way through it. Plus, I just woke up. You're, like you're still hour. trying to sober up from your bachelor party. Uh, the bachelor Even though party, it was like weeks ago. Well, you know what wasn't great was that we had the 24-7 conference in Nashville like a week later, and they were serving free McAllen. Um, is it McAllen, right? That's how you pronounce it? Yes. Yeah. I just saw the good stuff at the at the free bar and just kept going to that all evening. Um, yeah, so trying to trying to get back on track here. 
Shredding for the wedding. Um, <laughs> with the, the within the context of the offensive line, you mentioned Derek Kelly. Is it fair to say that he's the most important player on that line right now? Just because of his versatility? I know he's yeah, not the best. He, he, can, he can play four spots for you. Yeah. So, yeah, he has the most value. Plus, he, while he's not great, he's not bad either. He's a very kind of reliable, consistent guy. And Derek's a kid that's got his stuff together. Mm-hmm. He's, he's an intelligent kid. He's a hardworking kid. He's a guy that really gets after it. He likes playing it. He takes a lot of pride in his craft. So, yeah, I think he kind of guides the ship. Landon Dickerson is probably your most talented guy. Yeah. And he holds a lot of value, too. The thing that would disappoint me is if we see Landon slid outside because it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gash and taking away from somebody who's really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. His value is always going to be better at guard than tackle, but it may simply be out of necessity that you see FSU move. Well, that, that's an interesting point, Chris. I think... So as I as I was writing the as I was writing the different possibilities and trying to look at what they have currently on the roster, um, if Josh Ball ends up not being in the in the fold for for the fall, um, I think there's two different scenarios. And the best case scenario for Florida State is that Jawan Williams is the left tackle uh, of the future and is a guy who can hold his own now, is athletic enough to to kind of protect the blind side and work with the you know, speedy edge rushers and then has the ability to kind of keep growing into his body and, and athletic frame. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Derek Kelly at right tackle, then the rest of the interior line kind of falls in place where you rotate between the three, you know, Alec Eberle, Big John Johnson, Landon Dickerson, Cole Minshew, one of those four you rotate and you put in the three best and you figure out who, who who's there. I think yeah. that's the best case, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think the the most realistic, maybe something that you're not, you wouldn't be a fan of, I think is Derek Kelly at left tackle and you maybe move Landon Dickerson to right tackle. Yeah, and then you have Minshew, Eberly, and Bavion as your three interior mm-hmm. types. And Bavion is kind of a swing vote. There could be somebody else that takes yeah. that role, but but I, I think that's the on. maximization of the five best, or at least the five that you know right now. Yeah. But but who knows? There's so many variables. One with Josh Ball's status, and two just what this offensive line looks like with the full offseason coaching and a new scheme. It just it's going to be it, there's oh, there's a lot of projection that we're talking about. The right great now. wild card is Jawan Williams. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think and any guy who plays that position who's had upper arm issues, shoulder issues, mm-hmm. like he has, it's always a concern. And he, correct me if I'm wrong, he had the shoulder injury last year that kept him out of the 2017 season, and then he re-aggravated it, or he had something where he was in a sling again in the spring, but I don't know if yeah, it was... Yeah, he was I don't back in a sling. I don't know if we ever got specifics if it was, it was the same, same injury or a new injury. No, but injuries have been consistent yeah. for him, and that's that's obviously problematic. Uh, and just for people, and then we'll move off, off the offensive line and some other topics, uh, if people want to, or curious about the true freshman, whether they can contribute there, I, both are projects, right? At tackle, Jalen Goss, and... Uh, and uh, and Neil, um, Chaz Neal. Yeah, Chaz Neal is the definition of a project. <laughs> and uh, Jalen's a talented kid, but he's kind of thin on the frame. I mean, uh, you could throw him in the fire. He uh, could I learn alongside be, him, but I think it would be bad for yeah. both FSU and for him. I agree. I agree. So, yeah, those are the options that we you, lay you out. always prefer the redshirt alignment if able. I haven't heard anything about grad transfer. Uh, no. I think that may be too late that's at one this of, point. Well, you could always have the guy that, you know – makes a late decision after a spring semester or even the first summer if he's able to graduate. Some guys don't know if they're able to reach that point where they can graduate and pull it off till literally they're at that point where they're about to graduate. So Boston College used to have like a whole entire offensive line of grad transfers <laughs> yes, they, and they were actually okay. Yeah, Ian Silverman from <laughs> UF went up there. There were a bunch of others, right? Yeah, UF also tried to put in grad transfers and uh, Durham James killed one on the field once, I think. So. <laughs> 
Moving on. He didn't kill him. He bench pressed him. <laughs> but he didn't make the sack. <laughs> um, one other thing. Okay, so now we're going to work back a little bit uh, to, to topics that you know, maybe aren't super timely, but you know we want to talk about. Standalone football facility. Uh, I was in Amelia Island, uh, and uh, an Irish OFL from Warchant and myself caught up with Willie Taggart uh, and... And well, and Sam Wilcox too, the, with, with some other reporters the previous day. But uh, you know, we got Willie, Willie Taggart and asked him. Ira asked him about football facility um, and where that that was, because that's obviously something that uh, has been discussed. Is is upgrading football facility? That's something that was Jimbo Fisher uh, talked about a lot, and it's sometimes viewed as as important. It's just a matter of, of how they go about it. The thing at Florida State is there's not a ton of space to work with. Uh, and you have to convince a lot of boosters that you know that you're spending millions and millions of dollars on on upgrading something that they already kind of think they just upgraded um, recently. Uh, but we're talking about maybe wholesale changes here. Now, is that a renovation to the Moore Center, uh, or is it a standalone football facility that's built, which is what most major college programs have moved to? Uh, and Willie Tiger was pretty, I thought, was you know, pretty upfront with saying you know, he doesn't want a quote unquote band aid, and a band aid to him is renovating the Morse Center and just doing that. He's like, that's what they've done, and that's fine, um, but but long-term, that's probably not what's great for the university. Um, so Stanley football facility is the preference there. I think what's interesting, and then the whole narrative that got, kind of got drug up after those comments last week, uh, is that Jimbo uh, was such a big bugaboo for him, and that was you know one of the reasons why he went to Texas A&M was to get... Well, you you go the, go, go for you it. You mention these things at the ACC spring meetings. You discuss these things at booster meetings. You mm-hmm. don't discuss them when your team has a losing record in the middle of the season. I don't care how important it ever is. It's about a time and a place. The reason Jimbo got his shit jumped on when he did that is he brought it up when his football team was in the midst of being horrendous. And that's also, the difference. And he also referred to them as little things. Uh, and he also acted like FSU had never done anything to improve a facility yeah. in his time that, that it had been minimal. That's BS. Mm-hmm. It is simply not true. FSU's facilities are good. They need to obviously be better. That is true for every college in America outside of maybe Clemson right now at any given time. It is a constant arms race that doesn't end. Here's what I'd hate to break to people. FSU's going to build a nice standalone facility, probably connected to the current building that connects to the IPF. If I, had to, if I had to guess... That is where I think it will be connected. They'll take away that parking lot, basically build an L shape where the IPF is the lower party L if you're looking at it in reverse. That seems the most part. likely, yeah. and that's what's been pitched. It's not official, but I think the feasibility The minute is, that, that is done, yeah. they're going to be on to building something else, yeah. and there's going to be something else that they want because that's what these colleges that's do. Football. It's constant. Yeah. Uh, well, two- I, I agree with standalone facility. I think it's better. I don't think there needs to be an obsession with it. Mm-hmm. But if feasibility-wise, it's of similar cost structure, why not go ahead and do it? Yeah, if you're going to do and it. And I think they should also upgrade them more at the same time, whether or not it's solely for football. Because the coach's office or offices, I presume, are going to stay in the more. Because if you've ever been in them, you understand that the view onto Doak is one of those things that sells to a recruit. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to go away. I think more so this facility will be for the players. players yeah. And for the coaches used during practice, so if I have academic, like academic, uh, there be it just be. Well, be I, could, a, I presume they're going to put team meeting rooms in the new facility. Mm-hmm. You know, to upgrade them with the newest, fanciest technology, allowing them to do their stuff mm-hmm. there, and then they can kind of change the innards of the more for other 
athletes, non-football athletes, non-basketball, because basketball basically has their own facility with a basketball training center. Mm-hmm. So every other sport can have a little bit of an upgrade. And maybe simply expand the academic outreach of what the mm-hmm. more is currently. Uh, a couple thoughts on that. One, why you don't want to do the What the Hell podcast on Jimbo Fisher's tenure is is besides me. <laughs> Folks, pressure Chris Nee. He's been reluctant to do it. I don't understand why. I've, I've, I've moved on except for in the moments where I need to bring up the past. I, I think what it was, at first I thought it was just you were emotionally dead and didn't want to... No, I'm, d- I'm d- back, man. <laughs> I'm back. I, think, I was dead. I, I was dead in October, November, I, but I, I'm back. Uh, you think you're more concerned about your health at this point. Like, that was high blood pressure city just uh, a minute ago. No, no, no. I was fine. I, I'm concerned. I was concerned about your heart just I'm, then. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> We're going to do it, folks. It's I'm happening. I'm the healthiest obese person you've ever met. You're not obese. I am obese. You're not obese. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. All right, back not, on topic. You're not skinny, though. No shit. <laughs> uh, but we do have a list of like 60-something things that I want to talk about. Pressure Chris Knee. Pressure Chris Knee. Other thoughts on the football facility? Uh, yeah, standalone makes the most sense. It's not that Willie is asking for or that people within the football a building want that done uh, it makes the most sense and I think that's when you look at, at how it was perceived with, with Jimbo uh, it's the way you go about it in life right I mean it's, a, it's the, way you, the way you pose things the way you structure the, what you're talking about it can, makes a difference you can correct me if I'm wrong when you spoke to Stan and uh, Willie at the ACC meetings here recently they did not share any dollar figures regarding any of the plans correct correct they're, they're being pretty buttoned up with that. The, the biggest interesting piece of knowledge to me that we don't know is how much would it cost due to more, which mm-hmm. would be, from what I understand, essentially connecting where the weight room is to the front of the more and extending that building and maybe raising it a level and gutting it and redoing a lot of the innards or building essentially a new building that connects to the IPF. What's the difference in cost? Because if it's not a big difference, I don't, I'm completely on board with I don't want a band-aid. I want a new building because the only way I think it makes sense to do the more is if your the cost figure, the dollar figure to do this is so drastically different than building a new structure, which I can't imagine it would be. Well, here's plus here's, you already own the land that you would build it on, so you don't have to buy land. And that's important. That's a big yeah. space. Piece of the I, I think for I think most of our listeners and readership, you know, do understand that the space at Florida State is limited. But for yeah. those who who don't, I mean, it's it's tight and that campus is building up right now. It's not building out. There's yeah. just not a ton of room. I mean, doing the new structure, you're going to take away, what, probably 300 parking spaces roughly, would you say, ah, if you build it down that line? Son of a bitch. And you can't afford to lose 300 parking spaces there, but you can always build a garage somewhere else yeah. around the stadium. That's what I'm saying. It's just be being built up right to now. To fix that. So, oh. Or you build it on the old IM fields if you eventually do something to revise those, I think, for example. I think the frustration the the, the Jimbo had, and this is what I think the challenge that Willie's going to have too, is convincing boosters that this needs to be done. Yeah. Um, older boosters, boosters who saw what Bobby Bowden did without these fancy facilities. Um, and, and that, and yes, you, you can win without it, but you know, look at it from, say, Willie Tiger's perspective. Like he was at Oregon, which is the, you know, cream Crime of the crop. Yes. Yeah. It's as good as it gets. Um, and he saw what that could do for recruiting. And then you look at, say, like, look at what Clemson's doing, right? Clemson was already on upward trajectory before this, you know, before they had their footballing facility. 
man, they're going. We we don't need slides. No, and, and that's I think fans. We need things that are sensible at, that can sell to recruits and parents. Yes, yeah. having a building where you can walk the parent in and be your son's going to get every bit of football knowledge he needs here, every bit of academic knowledge mm-hmm. he needs here, every bit of support he needs here in this building is important. Yes, they currently have that and more, mm-hmm. but having a shiny new toy to show off also matters. It does. And and you're looking at, I mean, your your competition is evolving. And it's easy to say because it's not my money. So no. I understand why people don't want to part with the money. Yeah. But it everybody does it. It's yeah. kind of the idiotic thing of college athletics where we're constantly in this race to do better. It, it's an arms race. And one thing Jimbo said I agree with is if you're, if you're in this game, you're in this game, like invest. Like that's, I mean, that's kind of if you're. If you I'm just want, glad Willie's not floating rumors about moving Dick Hauser though, because that was completely idiotic. <laughs> no, he's going about it. I think in in, the, in a respectful way, and I think he understands that there's challenges that are coming, you know, with trying to get everyone on board with this. But uh, he has a vision, and I'm curious to see how. L- l- listen, a train of thought is shifting. Like like Stan Wilcox want he's on record saying we want to do this like they want a football facility upgrades and yeah. I think they all want a standalone it's just like you said feasibility it's going to happen you, I think that's the one thing want, that's, you want the window dressing whether true or not that academics matter with your football program yeah. I certainly think Willie has made it an emphatic piece of what he does at FSU real, real we've quick had, with, we've with had players talk about that coaches mm-hmm. people associated with program associated with university Across the board, I've said that, you know, Willie clearly has an idea of what he wants student athletes to be as far as students. It's also something they do in recruiting. A new building like that with academic support directly for the football team goes further in furthering that message. Uh, real quick on academics, uh, that's not just lip service. I don't know how much of this. No, I certainly don't think it yeah, is. Yeah, but I guess what I'm going to say is like he's, from my understanding, is and he said on record that academics have been better than where they were in past years. Um, that's not him. Like, legitimately, they're guys that are on you know having academic issues is almost cut in half from where it was a year ago. Now, whether that's just a, a new regime being in and people being engaged, or if if his emphasis on you know accountability, having guys you know basically if you miss like a class or something that adds up to you maybe having to run and not just you but your entire group. Going back to what you said about Greg Fry, there's this group dynamic that they're trying to. Forge uh, at Florida State, uh, but yeah, the, the academics are legitimately uh, much improved so far under Willie Taggart. Again, is that just a jump start with the new staff? Uh, but but yeah, that's part of when you're looking at this big picture of of the football facility. That's I think what they're trying to sell to. That's what Stan wants uh, as part of it too. Without without knowing 100 percent, based on kind of filling in the blanks. Um, all right, we good on standalone facility. I'm checking off the boxes here. Yes. All right. Did you see the royal wedding? No, I was in Boston. Oh. My fiance made me watch it for like 10 minutes and, and she started getting emotional and then I uh, made her made her stop watching. I watched the, uh, the speech given by, was it a bishop that spoke in the church? I just know they played Stand By Me. I can't remember if it was a cool. bishop or exactly what his title was, but I thought his speech was outstanding. Oh. That, that's a little bit of it I saw, but I'm done now. <laughs> All right. We're good. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, did you see uh, Xavier Rhodes and Jan Ramsey, number one, number two cornerbacks? Yeah, did you see Xavier Rhodes' comment when he was number 55 in the top 100? Oh, what he said? He didn't seem emphatically but pleased with being number kinda, 55. It's voted on by players. Yeah. I think it's like Carlos Hyde's in the top 100. <laughs> I like Leonard Fournette. He was ahead of Xavier Rhodes. He's not better at running back right now yeah, than I mean, Xavier Rhodes is at cornerback. I think Rhodes is a guy that probably should be more in the top 30 range than the 30 to 60 range like he is personally. But I, I just thought it was funny. I, I love Xavier because you're talking about a guy that didn't love the idea of being a corner. 
less than a decade ago. And now he's one of the best in the world at it. So it's pretty funny. But anyways. Selsenseri tweeted that he was responsible for Saber. <laughs> then made a graphic, which he immediately deleted. <laughs> Real quick on that, because that's, that's old at this point. But what the hell? Like, it's just, you know... Like, when graphic departments go wild. I mean, the amount of money I think that, that college programs are starting to put into these graphics and the social media stuff. Graphic game's awesome, man. But oh my god, keep your ass in check. Or just do it right if you're going to do it. Like You're putting it on the internet. People are going to fact check you on the internet. Like, no, no, no. Don't, don't put yourself in the situation where you look like an asshole. Well, without, get, without, without getting too much into politics, I think we've seen in the past... You know, two years that that you don't have to be correct. You just throw shit out, and and it doesn't have to all be correct. I mean, yeah, but this is college football, not politics. We take this stuff very seriously. Mm. College football is politics. Whatever. <laughs> Ronald Derby, uh, the Rick Leonard thing. Like, you, you literally, a dude got drafted. It just, it, I'm pretty sure that wasn't South. It was pretty sure a, a a GA or someone did that for him and tweeted out on his social account. Whatever. It's all stupid. Listen, if Jimbo Fisher wants to take credit for Jameis Winston, you know, you, you basically helped cultivate him and turn him, you know, help. I mean, I think Jameis would have been fine with whoever was coaching him, but you you are entitled to a little yeah. bit of, of that. You, you go ahead and beat your chest. That's fine. If, if Fluffing resumes in college football it, is nothing. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Georgia Leary. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, your, your alma mater, uh, you know, has some history there. Defending national champions yeah. in the Coley Matrix. All right, so suck what's, what's suck, next? Suck what do you need to check off next? All right. Do you want to talk about baseball real quick? Kind of a, a, an interlude. Mike Martin set a, set a record for, uh, for you know, most wins in a, for in a, a long, career. For longevity. Well, longe- um, dude, they just want they got 40 wins again? Yeah, 40, 41 seasons 41 in a row? 41 straight years. That's amazing. Yeah, the, the great thing Don't about diminish him. How I'm dare not, you? I'm not diminishing How dare you? The great thing about Martin is that the program has been incredibly consistent throughout the entire regime, which is unbelievable. Yeah. It's unparalleled. Um, I'm not knocking it in the least. The knock on him is always going to be he doesn't have a World Series title. I obviously don't think that's going to happen in the next year or two as he winds down his career. How awesome but, would that be? If oh, he, if be, just, it would be incredible. It's the one box he hasn't checked off. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you don't do what you do at a program like he does and not have one. It's incredible. It's like uh, I was watching the Miami game last evening, the ACC tournament game, and they were talking about Jim Morris. I believe they stated that he had gone to the first six World Series as Miami's head coach, including the two he won, I believe, 99 and 01, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's nuts to think that a guy went six straight times and got two out of it. Martin's been, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, I want to say 16 times, and doesn't have one. I think it's 16 for him and like 22, 23 for the program. And the program doesn't have one. I mean, it's nuts. But the, the record's cool. I thought Clemson did a great job of honoring him. Uh, Monty Lee's a very classy dude, the head coach of Clemson. They did a good job that next day with it. Um, happy for him. I was glad Carol, his wife, was there. They're good people. Um, thought it was cool that the players were kind of a part of it all, too, especially with how it came about. And that team as a whole, I mean, they've got some warts. Raphael Bornegal's an awful hitter, um, to put it just plain and simple. He's bad, and he's leading off, and I don't really have an explanation for that this year. Um, what's his bat? Is it sub-200? I think it's like 170 right now. It's it's pitiful. And he had an at-bat yesterday in the ACC tournament that I was surprised it didn't get him benched. Um, it was just a horrible I, I, took, bat. I, I don't do much. Baseball. I don't do any baseball. I don't do baseball is basically <laughs> what you're trying to say. But uh, but uh, Ashley, my fiance, likes. She loves baseball. She you know she played softball in high school and she you know she grew up uh, in New York as a Yankees fan. Um, so we went to a game 
two weeks ago when they were playing that, that poop team. Mount St. Mary's. Yeah, that was it. Uh, we went on a Friday. It was a lot of fun, but I'm looking at the you know the the stats on the or basically the order on the uh, on the jumbotron or whatever. And uh, I saw the leadoff hitter was like at 182 or something like that. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and apparently that's just the thing. That there, there's there. always a couple of things you just can't explain under Martin. And it's always been true. And I just kind of, at this point, I accept it more so than trying to be confrontational about it because, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to have his reasons and I'm not going to agree with him. But this team's done well. I mean, they have a shot. They play NC State Friday. They win that. They play in the ACC tournament semifinal. They've been three straight championship games. They're a good ACC tournament team. This year's squad's kind of weird. The starting pitching has been quite quality, truthfully, especially at giving quality starts, good innings, which is a big thing because their middle relief is lacking at this point, just not a whole lot of arms. C.J. Van Eyck, while he did struggle a little yesterday, once he got to the fourth inning, he's been very good, especially down the stretch. Austin Pollock came in, kind of filled in the space, and then Clayton Kwiatkowski had a career-long outing to kind of shut it down yesterday. That Those three guys are kind of a demonstration of their middle relief. Then you got Jonas Scalaro, Connor Grady, a couple other guys they can lean on. Uh, Will Zerzow's back, but his velocity is still a bit of a question mark, so I don't think he's a guy they're going to lean on hard in big-game situations right now. At the plate, Calvary has been phenomenal. Cal's been the player who's recruited to be the guy that he's thought of coming out of high school. He's had a great year. Drew Mendoza has literally been the definition of a wave. Very up and down when he's good. He's been really good when he's bad. He struggles a lot. It would be nice to see a little more consistency. But you've had guys like Reese Albert, for example, who had two clutch hits here in the last week, two walk-offs. He's stepped up and been a very good player for them. You have other guys like Stephen Wells. Once he became an everyday player, has become a good player for them. They're going to be a regional host. They're vying to be a super regional host as a top eight national seed. Could still be it, obviously, if they're not top eight. If the top eight team that they're matched with gets upset. They're a good squad. Can they make Omaha? Yeah, I certainly think they have a shot. I don't think they can win in Omaha as far as long term. I don't think the pitching depth is good enough. Um, but they've done a good job. They've been a better team than last year. They had that five-game losing streak with the Duke series. I forget who else backed up in that where they kind of struggled. But in general, they've been a fairly consistently good team. They run the bases at times like idiots. They don't always feel very well. You're basically just describing every Florida State baseball team. Yeah, that's kind of become the consistent norm for them. <laughs> this is the well, those things are irritating. It is what they're going to be yeah. under the current regime. That's not something that there's all of a sudden going to be this hugely forward in being better at. So you sort of got to accept it and realize it's going to happen. They tend to strand a lot of guys on bases, but they also get a ton of guys, guys on, on bases. Yeah. So, you know, it is one of those things. Uh, do I love them? No, nah, I don't love them. I don't think they're exceptional, but they're good. And there's not a ton of great teams in college baseball. So it's well, been fun. I, I think I, they have a real shot against NC State. They took two of three, but all three games were fairly competitive. Um, you know, took two walk-offs, one to two they won. So we'll see how Friday plays out. It's going to be a very NC State pro crowd. You know, it's the last game of the full there. play yeah. up there, and it's in Durham, North Carolina. So It's so, all in North Carolina. But Drew Parrish is pitching, and Drew Parrish tends to give FSU great starts. FSU doesn't always score a lot of runs when <laughs> Drew Parrish pitches, though. So we'll see. One thing I do know about college baseball, man, it's a crap shoot. You just get yeah. there. You get there, until, I mean, as evidenced by like FSU being there that many times and not winning it. Like, a, you know, a, just, a vast majority of games that you look at, it's usually – Hit by pitches, walks, errors, and miscues on the base pad, sometimes scored as errors, that lead to a number of runs and can blow a game open. It's very rarely that, uh, you know, 
they strung together four straight hits and, you know, put this great inning together where it was offensive. A lot of times it's a miscue by the team that's in the field. All right. So two two other topics, and I think we'll we'll wrap this up. We're already at 30 minutes. We're really – I think we found our groove. I'm doing weird things Second with my hand. Second cup of coffee here, man. I'm for it. I should be my UCF National Championship uh, mug. You want to see what a real National Championship ring looks like? I don't have I don't I'm just you. asking if you want to. I know people that have some. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, mean, I would like the whole one. That'd be cool. UCF has They're national like championship rings. They're like paperweights. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, all right. So two topics. I think one, an overarching, you know, what we know about the football program right now, and then two, recruiting, uh, post-spring eval period and going to summer camp time. What would you like to talk about first? Let's go back to football. I mean, you know, spring ended over a month ago now. Well, actually, almost six weeks ago now. And, uh, you know, just sometimes you find yourself sitting there thinking about it. Quarterback thing, it's funny. I, I, I was kind of steadfastly blackman, and I feel myself trending. DeAndre Francois is sneaking trending, in. <laughs> trending back towards that at times. I'm not convinced it will be Francois, but it's, I'm also at this point not really convinced it will be Blackman. I'm very interested to see how August plays it's out. It's funny. I have the same exact – like I'll just be walking around the house thinking of work stuff or things to write about. And I'm just like, yeah, DeAndre Francois, they put up with a lot of crap with him. Yeah. I, so I did I – did, I'm in the middle of going back and looking at basically how things were done schematically – and more so just looking at the analytics and, and, and some of the, the tendencies previously with FSU and then what Willie Taggart has done the last three years since doing in the Gulf Coast offense and, and trying to look at that. And this is this is what I'll say is I look at the quarterbacks. A couple of weeks ago now, i got to resume the series. If I'm going to do a series, I should probably do them all closer together. But anyways, at quarterback, uh, the, the things that I think you're going to see Willie Taggart offenses do is move the quarterback. Now it's not always gonna be Quentin Flowers where they're running it a ton of you know a ton, but uh, mobility seems like something that he likes. Yeah, you're not gonna stand in the pocket; the pocket's gonna move. Yeah, and all the quarterbacks that they have can do that, but I think DeAndre Francois is the best runner. Um, now he may I think Bailey Hawkins probably the best in the pocket moving around of, of the three, uh, but I think you know the ability to break off a 20 yard run. I think that's DeAndre Francois, uh, and what we saw when he went in 2016, I think those numbers kind of kind of reflect that. Second thing is deep shots. He's going to look at that part of what this offense is. About a quarter, maybe 20% of the, the passes are going to be 20 yards downfield or more. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't love DeAndre Francois' anticipation as a redshirt freshman when he played. Um, I think that's a fair critique. Uh, but by the end of the year, he was really, really good at back shoulder passes and you know, some of the back shoulder fades. And uh, I thought he got much better putting, pushing the ball downfield. Now, Blackman, I think, throws a nice deep ball too. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is I think the strengths that, that really tag a lot of what he looks for, uh, DeAndre Francois does uh, does well. I think that may be a marriage of strengths. Yeah, and could be. I'll be completely honest with my thought pattern on that. I think if Blackman had an exceptional spring game, I wouldn't catch myself having those thoughts. I know. You but the fact that the lasting memory game. of spring for him is that that last practice, it's which was the spring game. Such a tough game to judge. But when you was kind of a middle-of-the-road performance for him. He didn't look good. No, and he I, was disappointed. Yeah. Uh, that, that also sticks with me. Here's the thing. I know Blackman checks the boxes for off the field and in that locker room. Yeah. I 100% know that. It comes down to on the field, is he good enough that you go with him over the other guy who maybe have shortcomings in yeah. those other departments? Yeah. I, uh, that's, 
I think with what Willie Taggart wants in his quarterback, and he said that he wants him to be a leader. I, th- I mean, I think he's playing with house money to an extent with DeAndre Francois. If he does those things, then that's gravy. If not, I think you can feel solid with what you have with James Blackman. Uh, can Francois grow up in the offseason? I, I don't know. They uh, both need to be really good at handing it off to Cam Akers, though. <laughs> that's the most important part of the offense. You think Cam Akers could play quarterback? I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Wild Cam. No Wild Cam in this. Are they lined up in this, the Wild this Cam? Like, when they did that in no the spring. No Wild Cam in this podcast. When they did that in the spring, it's like, Willie knows what these people want. <laughs> <laughs> he just gets it. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Uh, I will say this. I think... That Florida State's quarterback situation, while up in the air, is better than most of the teams that they're going to be going against. I just kind of looked at, I think it was Athlon or someone did the did the you know, top quarterback situations or whatever, and started looking. I was like, all right, where's Florida State? And they were like 30th or something nationally, but with the ability to trend upwards once it gets stability there. Uh, but you look at the schedule that, of who they're playing, there's just not a lot of good quarterbacks that they're going to be facing Yeah, NC this State. Year. Uh, yeah, had, Finley's fine, I mean, I mean, but the weapons around him are depleted. Are depleted last year. I was I was trolling you at the Dungy's. Uh, I love Eric Dungy at Syracuse, yeah. but we'll see how it goes. I mean, year. he's just just a concussion waiting to happen. Yeah. I don't being sensitive. He's a concussion he's, away from not playing football. Yeah, uh, but he, he's a very good. Um, he's a very good college quarterback. I think is with with his game, like he's just not like when he matches up with Florida State. Typically, their athletes have been just too much for yeah. him. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are, are those your two, and then Clemson. If uh, yeah, Clemson's quarterback room is pretty solid, despite yeah. Hunter Johnson leaving. Yeah, yeah, Kelly Bryant. But I'm not even sure when did they play Clemson? Is that November? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I think it's isn't yeah. it the first week of November. Yeah, or no, that's Notre Dame this year, isn't it? Yeah, no, but it is. It is a stretch later in the year. I'm. A, you know, the funny thing is, we work for a website. It may have the schedule on it. Clemson is October 27th. Oh, Notre Dame's November 10th. Like NC State sandwich in between those. That's yeah, a tough, a tough, that's a, that is a tough stretch. And you have Miami two weeks before Clemson. You have Wake in between Miami and Clemson. Good stuff. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, with the football team, the quarterback thought creeps in my head. We've talked about the other line. I still think that's going to be a huge hurdle for them. And I think defensively they're going to be fairly good. And I'm not worried about the linebacker spot. Like, that was going in the spring. That was such a big storyline. I'm not worried about it. I, I think we talked about this I'm back giving you when the coaching... I'm giving you an open door for Jaden Woodby at linebacker Oh, talk. thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I was going to get there. Um, well, let's see. I mean, Don Davies, one, I think just having competent coaching. That was the position where I thought the coaching was probably the, just the shakiest consistently. Sorry, Bill Miller. Like, it just wasn't great. Um, I got him as, like, a stopgap. But then when they didn't move on after a year or two, I just – I don't know. Um, but that, that just position just, just – Always underachieved. It's been perplexing for years with just the attrition they've had there. The guy's not living up to potential. It's been weird. They're um, about to have two guys that were on the roster last year that will probably make NFL squads. One went to Seahawks, one went to Steelers, and they were very mediocre in position last year with those two. One of the, I mean, both of them were blue chip freaking recruits. Yeah, yeah. One of them only played about 33% of snaps. Pew. Pew, 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 pew. But. Yeah, I, I like when I talked to Pew. It's funny, we had uh, the. Back in it was late in the season, Jacob Hughes said basically that it's just not leadership and everyone's doing their own thing and it's too late. Yeah, when he sat down on the couch like we yeah. were his therapist and just let it all out. And let it all out. And I was like, oh, we're never talking to him that again. That was the best moment of last season. So, uh, yeah, because I remember looking at Bob. Oh. While it's happening, I looked at Bob Ferrante and I was just like, my eyes were like, like go bolt this right now. <laughs> um, and FSU cut it short a little bit. But, yeah, what are they going to do? 
Um, but anyways, when we got to the, when I went down to, uh, I was on the fence where I wanted to go to St. Pete for the East West Shrine game and they added Jacob Pugh to the roster and I was like, bam. And I made a beeline down to that game. Cause I wanted to talk to him about the previous regime and, and just his time <laughs> at Florida State. Cause I knew he'd be candid and actually say what he thought. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted someone to actually say that now, obviously he probably didn't have the greatest experience. And, um, anyways, uh, I enjoyed when I asked him, I was like, you know, how he fit in and he felt like he was utilized. He's like, I only played 33. He knew exactly yeah. what the top is that, <laughs> how many percentage. And I went and I checked the snap percentage on PFF, or PFF after and damn, it, I think he was off by like 1%, but he knew. Um, yeah, so I think that position is just going to be better just by having competent coaching there. Yeah. I, I think Dontavious Jackson solidified himself that's one position you know you're you're good at uh, i think they're trying to figure out the other linebacker spot My, I, I think leonard warner is probably the the other or the other you know strong side linebacker type i think that's probably the best fit he didn't i think he played mostly backup like middle linebacker but i think those are your two best um we'll see with josh brown because he was hurt for most of the spring thomas thomas i, I don't i don't love i think he's he's fine. dependable depth yeah, I don't know if you're going to him with as a starter. I think so. I think it's all pretty even right now. Um, but star, the star linebacker position was intriguing. We had really good things about the Kalen Brooks over the spring, uh, and he looked. I mean, I think he he flashed in the. You know, I think we had eight tackles in the spring game. Like he he made some plays downfield. Uh, but the guy who who impressed me at star was Jaden Woodby. Now we had heard he was going to be a you know, more of a safety type. And it's funny FSU was talking about using three linebackers early on in the spring. And the last few times Willie Tiger has has talked about the defense, he's described it as a four-two-five, uh, and I think yeah, that star position kind of was always going to be like a hybrid linebacker safety type. Uh, but he's he's made sure he's been pretty emphatic, saying it's a four-two-five, and and I think it was a, uh, I think it was Warchant had a video at a at the Tampa booster stop where he was asked about the star position Willie Taggart was. And he said, you know, to Kalen Brooks. And he's like, and Jaden Woodby. And then I was like, oh, man. I was like, I, I felt like for, for weeks now, like, oh, Jaden Woodby is going to be that dude at star. Like, it, just watching him play that position in the spring, he was so natural there. That's a guy that they love. They've loved him since he got on campus. If he – He's a dude. He, he is a dude. If he had a single-digit jersey number – and he doesn't even want one. He doesn't want one. He wants 20. He doesn't even care. That's how much of a duty. He's he a rebel with a cause. <laughs> um, he's going to end the season as a starting star, I think. I think he may even begin the season there. Jaden's one of those guys you just have to have on the football field. Yeah. And I think that's that's what we're seeing is that they – And I think this is a regime that would do that. And like we saw with Derwin where it took six games for to make sure that happened. But. And to figure out, oh, we should put him in the box and yeah. let him just wreak havoc. Yeah, murder ball. Um, <laughs> I, know, I, I think – if they're going to maximize their strengths, they have a lot of good safeties. Finding a way to get a third one on the field makes the most sense. Uh, and Brooks is going to play, too, in some form or fashion, and certainly in certain packages. He's, he, he's valuable. Yeah. That, that's a guy who's worth his scholarship. Plus, that dude has the biggest chip Always. on the shoulder of yeah. any player on the squad, and you want that he, on he, your team. He is short. Because he backs it up, too. Uh, he is like, short. Like, I'm 5'8". 5'8 and change. I don't know if he's next F- taller. FSU had 15 practices, and he walked out to each and every one pissed off Just at the world. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved him. His consistency level, unparalleled. The staff loves it, too. Yeah. That's one guy like Willie Taggart would bring up consistently. You, um, need, so, you need those guys. Yeah. You, you need that. Uh, I don't want to use glue guy, but yeah. Just use your cliches. He, Check the boxes. He's a glue guy, man. He... He's the kind of guy on defense who will never be the natural freak of a Marvin Wilson or a Stanford Samuels future first round pick. Chris, and he says, "I said, but second. He, he makes you go." 
Speaking of Stan- Stanford Samuels, they played him at safety in the spring game, and I've heard that they put him a little bit there in practice. Yeah. Um, but line him up wherever you want. The kid just makes plays. I mean, but what do you do at cornerback? I mean, do you Taylor Ky- Myers? Kyle Myers maybe well, Becker when yeah, he comes back. We do know Levante Taylor's one. Yeah, um, I mean, but that's what I've been trying to think is so. Do they? I think it also depends on who you're playing who you play, and what they yeah. do. There's so much unknown. I think I'm excited to kind of see how these guys are used and how the staff, yeah, how Harlan Burnett uses them. One, one thing I, I caught up with Pat Narduzzi um, at as a Pittsburgh head coach when I had the spring meetings for like five minutes uh, and asked him about Harlan Burnett. Pat's a good dude. Yeah, he is. Uh, he was enjoyable and he was really thoughtful in, in the way he described the defense. There's some other stuff I wanted to, you know, he talked about Harlan. Being, Their paths crossed at Michigan State. Well, that, and that's where the point I was going to get to, yeah, is that. that that Pat was the defensive coordinator and Harlan was the secondary coach. And actually they were together at Cincinnati too. They were together really? for a while. I didn't yep. realize that. Yep. They were together for almost a decade, I think. Uh, and then when Pat left to become the head coach at Pitt, uh, Harlan became the co-defensive coordinator and for all intents and purposes, the defensive coordinator. But you know, talking about that, that defense, one thing that I've, that has been emphasized in research is like that the cornerback play is really important. So they do the press coverage, uh, but going to do a little bit more in depth, man, the safeties, there's so much pressure that's going to be put on them because they're basically reading and reacting to everything uh, to where, like, a, for instance, if, if a guy runs downfield, uh, they have to determine, okay, you know, what's a deep pattern? Like if it's – and they're, and they're, and they're guessing essentially or they're, they're basing off of – so it's kind, of, it's kind of like a pattern matching that was done previously. I don't think it's quite as exhaustive throughout the entire defense. Um, but there's a lot of pressure. So that's, I guess, when you see Stanford Samuels, like, is he have the guy who's going to make a decision? He's so smart. Obviously, a coach's son. Um, I wonder if that's you know, a maximization of like, okay, that's uh, important. But I also think he's a damn good cornerback. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the defense I'm excited about. I think I think that they are going to be fun. Uh, I'm interested to see, I guess, at, uh, you know, where Joshua Kendo kind of goes into the mix. And it sounds like he's healthy and he'll be ready for, for fall practice. That's one thing that's kind of um, emerged. I, don't, I think we saw a green light turn on for uh, Janarius to some degree too. The, him in that spring game was a lot of fun, man. Which, I enjoyed, which is great because he's yeah. always looked like Tarzan. It's, he's finally starting to play like that dude too. Just, just the energy. If he can bring that consistently, whether he starts or is a rotational guy, um, yeah. If, if you have Burns, Janarius, Kando, Wally, that's a great four-man rotation yeah. at your two end spot. And Xavier Peters ends up coming in, and yeah. I know that's kind of up in the air right now. Um, but right now, it's still still feasible and still you know likely so um still an option but yeah so that's another guy who, who brings you know some juice there i think they'll be fine i think that was a position i was worried about and in going into the spring uh, it's good listen I, I think right now this this program is in a pretty good place the staff has really emphasized spending time together uh they're all back on campus now they have the steak and hot dog uh you know after the spring game whoever won the spring game got 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 steak dogs it's fine when i played I actually preferred the hot dog better than the steak just because they'd buy cheap steak. No, they'd buy cheap steak. What it wasn't, the hell is wrong with you? I generally like steak better than hot dogs. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they'd buy cheap steak at high S-O-E, school. S-O-E, steak over everything. Anyways, this is a good this program. <laughs> They're doing a lot of things emphasizing... Chemistry, team bonding. I know it sounds cliche, but they're actually putting in the work to the lip service of the program. I think that's healthy, and I think it's uh, positive, and I think guys are legitimately buying into it right now. We'll see. We'll see who gets in trouble this summer because we're only in May right now. But if you know they keep out of trouble, yeah. Win total nine and a half over or under. Under. At nine. Yeah, I, like I, I think eight and a half is probably the the, the number. Right. I, I think, I think nine and a half is a good number. I think I would probably lean towards nine. 
You did want to talk about some of the rankings and stuff. They've been yeah, all real over quick. the place I mean, for this team. I, I love off-season rankings because they crack me up because they're completely pulled out of people's asses usually. Um, you know, FSU is not ranked in USA Today, which I'm good with. They're ranked 13 in Athlon, which I'm also good with. And they're ranked 20th in Sporting News as though the two came together for an average. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it's funny. You know, who the heck knows? Yeah, one, you look at the schedule, it's difficult. Two, you look at the team, there's a lot of question marks, and you got to figure out what they're going to be like under a new regime. And three, you know, you never know. It's so funny looking at those lists. I love going back after a season, looking at the preseason top ten, and I'm talking more so AP coaches, top ten, and then looking at how it turns out. You know, you usually have three that definitely ended up in the top ten, three that didn't end up in the top 25, and then a mix with the other uh, four schools. So it's always fun to see. I just I think preseason rankings are hilarious because people get so bent out of shape over them, and they're an utterly meaningless exercise. Rankings shouldn't be done till October. This is list season. I mean, this is just what yeah, it yeah. is, and I'm you know, yeah. I'm, I'm partaking it too because I've got to write about something that's May. Like there's not I, a I can't wait for people to get the top twenty five quarterback list, and they feel like they have to put an FSU guy on there, but then they have to make their decision. And which one? That's gonna be fun. To we're watch. already kind of seeing that. That's gonna be fun. Oh, <laughs> Bailey Hockman. <laughs> Um, one thing that when you're trying to figure out, you know, what this team is going to be, and again, like you said, there's just a ton of variables. The schedule to me is what kind of two things, the schedule and the youth. Uh, this was going to be a transition year, no matter, even if a new coach wasn't coming in, even if that seven and six shit show didn't happen last year with Jimbo checking out, God knows when, um, but at least, you know, in the final month of the season, uh, if all that doesn't happen, like this is still a rebuilding year based on everything that they lost with experience on defense, so look at the defense right now. They could theoretically have a, a lineup that's all four-star or higher, right? Yeah. But how many of those guys have legitimate starting experience? Demarcus Christmas, Levante Taylor. Burns. Brian Burns. Is that it? Uh, well, it. you said LT. Um, that's it. No one else on that defense has significant – has been a starter, a full-time starter. So that's three guys. Yeah, and you're talking more than like a game or two. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, being like six, seven games, like yeah. being, uh, even that. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a green they're, bunch, they're, but they're I honestly don't think that's a bad thing because the habits are likely less oh, that's, you know, but, but ingrained I'm talking about in, in the skulls. context of this season, like you're going to have to take some lumps, I think. And that schedule is tough. Virginia Tech, you know, there's. But I, here's, I remember open, I'm 2013, 2013, we're talking about, oh, this is going to be a young squad. They're building for 2014. And hell, they came out of nowhere and they were great. So yeah. it sometimes it just clicks. Well, that's the, the one thing, too, with trying to project this team. And like, no, I'm not saying they're repeating 2013. Chris, he just said that. James Winston is not walking through that door, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He just said that it's going to be the best, the best college, the most dominant college football team maybe ever. Um, Part two. But they're going to look like crap in the first half against BC. <sighs> and Jeremy Prude's a horrible coach at halftime of that game. That was, that was a fun. That was that That's was not my what the hell list is. That, that is, was a good day. Is them toying with Dan Hicks and Niall Lauren Stample in the, uh, for the first like four games of the season trying to make that work? The halftime message board reaction to that BC oh, game. Were they? That's the pivot point of that season. <laughs> it's awesome to think back <laughs> on. Because... The wheels were off. The bus was on fire. They were driving off a bridge. Things were not going well. <laughs> then they won a national title. Throwback passes. All right. I remember the time Jimbo yelled at me for recording the, a throwback pass as if it were this crazy in practice. Like Didn't Tino yell at you too? Yeah. Not, Tino was well, Jimbo yelled. We like Tino. Jim, Jimbo yelled at me. Or Jimbo just yelled, why are you filming everything? And then Tino, just being a good soldier, was like, turn that shit off. Yeah. 
And I was done after that. You point. wanted to respond to it because we get 15 minutes to view your practice and we're allowed to. But you did it. Sports Info guy came over to me and was like, I don't think Jimbo wants to film, wants you to film this. I was like, oh, you, you, you think? You think? <laughs> All right. On the recruiting guy, this has been a meandering. This has been basically what this podcast was supposed to be, which was catching up. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> um, recruiting spring evaluation period, they're off the road outside of maybe one or two exceptions, but they're done being on the road. They invested a lot of time. They got out and saw pretty much every school in Florida, every school in Georgia, and then major targets in other areas, both 2019, 20, 21 kids, um, young and old, as I like to say. Uh, the thing that they're now figuring out, they had a big recruiting meeting here. I think it was on Monday. It may have been it yesterday. yesterday. It was yesterday. It may have been yesterday. It was Tuesday. the start of this week. Um, and what they were going to sit down and figure out in that meeting is who can we get, who do we want to get, who are our top targets? That's essentially the point they're at. It's a mix of guys that have been on campus that they went to see. If the, if a kid came to campus that they wanted, they made sure they got out and saw him and probably mm-hmm. twice. Um, you know, so those are those types, and they're just kind of figuring out the board. They're not going to waste their time on kids, especially out-of-state kids who are kind of either long shots or just not a necessity or that just doesn't make sense. If they can recruit a kid of equal talent in Florida or Georgia, they are not going to go to Tennessee to recruit them. Yeah, that, that, that their, their home base. Plain and simple their home them. base is Florida, South Georgia, and Atlanta. That's what they consider the "quote unquote" state of Florida. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically, that's kind of the philosophy and, that the staff has. Yeah. Is if, if it's even close to being like, who's the kid from Mississippi, the linebacker? That's uh, Nicobe Dean supposed to be. Like in if this it's something week. special, yeah. they'll go out off. And that's a position of need where there's not really a ton of great uh, available talent in the immediate backyard. Kalen DeLoach in Savannah is a kid that I would say is a nearby kid in quotations for FSU. They had him on campus. They went to see him. Greg Fry was up there immediately at the start of the evaluation period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so at this point, they're figuring out top targets, who they really want to pursue. And then they're also figuring out who do we need to get in the camp, especially kids that don't have offers that they want to see or who have offers that they're not yet convinced they definitely want to take. They want to get those kids in for camp and their camps get going in June. They basically have two weekends. One weekend is focused on skill positions and then uh, linebackers and running backs one day with specialists. And then the next weekend is big man and seven on seven. And then late July, they have a showcase event, which we don't know all the details on yet. I think it might be called Saturday night live on July 28th. And that's going to be more focused on guys they want to get commitments from. That's going to be a huge pivot point for this recruiting class as far as getting commitments, figuring out who the hell is going to be a seminal. That's sort of what July 20th and, is going to play out to be. So a couple of things with recruiting philosophy. I don't dabble in the recruiting stuff like you guys do, but I do have, a, I think, a decent idea of, of what they're trying to accomplish. Big picture, that Saturday Night Live or whatever it's going to be called is going to be – is that it, Saturday Night Live? Is that, that, that sounds like a working title at this point. <laughs> Saturday Night Live. It's gonna be a. Uh, it kind of it, in theory. I'm interested to see how it plays out. It's supposed to be like a crescendo of the summer, right? It's supposed yeah. to be. But but basically, so it, it, in well, the coaching staff's gonna immediately turn around from that point and dive full steam into preseason prep. Yeah. Yep. And recruits are gonna dive full steam into preseason prep. But they want it to be like a seasons. fireworks show, like essentially. Is yeah. I think, I, and again, the way it worked at Oregon last year, I don't know the exact number. I don't know if it was six or eight, but they got several commitments off yeah. of that, and they finished the summer with huge momentum. 
which then played into official Inclu- visits where yeah. they had a lot of these guys who were already committed come in, yeah. recruiting the guys that they wanted to finish their class off with. It's almost like the, it's like the same theory of when you know, uh, basically the hit rate of when you have the last official visit yeah. during. It's kind of the same thing, but you because of how the recruiting calendar is set up now, where yeah. July is very much shut down outside of that. Everybody's going to be doing something. Yep. So in some ways, it's also good because it's going to prove to you who the hell is who, actually interested in you. Yeah. If a kid has to decide between FSU, Clemson, Florida, Georgia for a visit that weekend, mm-hmm. and they don't choose you, you, know, you either got to decide we're going to put in a lot of work and try to change his mind, or we're ready to move pay. on and go who's who's next in line at that position for us. But I think they're they're. Their thought process is if you get that commitment from you know, a handful of guys, that's damn secure because you're not going anywhere else probably after that. Uh, and football season starts, and you maybe have a couple of official visits, and not, but it's not going to yeah. be. And basically, those are guys you're hoping to be the early, you know, the early signees, yeah. and you get them locked down. So that's kind of the, the theory there. Um, One thing I've learned about the staff and dealing with them now for you know we're on what, about six, six seven months. months. Yeah is that they're very good at being honest and realistic themselves mm-hmm. on who they can get, who they can pursue, how to go about it. They'll, they'll take big swings and bring kids in from Cali and have a good visit and see if they have a shot, but they're prepared to lose those kids to the West Coast. Yeah. You know, Dollars and Cradell going to Oregon is not something that Doesn't hurt to bring causes them, them to lose sleep. They're bringing Trey Sanders in at running back this weekend. He's a kid who's way up on the list. But after him, they got a kid like Keelan Robinson in Washington, who they've done a very good job recruiting very quietly, mm-hmm. who's very interested in them. So it's like they're always prepared for what plan B needs to be, and they don't get so stuck on this one guy is the only guy we want. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw that with quarterback. They basically recruited Sam Howell, Tyson, Fumacha, and uh, Jaden Daniels at the same time. They got Howell. And the other two guys want to be the one guy in their mm-hmm. class, not the two guys. So they weren't going to get them. They could have gotten Tyson, I think, if they wanted. Yeah, yeah. but Clemson it, went in and died, and he turned into the number one for Clemson. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it well, is. I mean, if they wanted, they made him number one, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, no I doubt. Yeah, I think if they green light him, they had a great chance of getting yeah. him. Yes. No, I agree with you there. But now they're looking at, do we want to take a second quarterback? We would like to add athleticism at the position. Mm-hmm. Who do we really want? Is David Baldwin the right guy? Which I'm not a huge Baldwin guy, but whatever. I'm not a coach on the staff. Is Lance, I don't know how, Legendre, Legand. I'm not sure how you pronounce Lance's last name from Louisiana. Is he the right guy? No, I'm just you happy know. that Tyson Fumich didn't come Fumich. in. That would have been, that um, been I, I wish he did. I, I got that one on lock. I figured out how to say that. He, he taught me. We had like a phonetic... Uh, or phonics lesson on the phone. Hooked on phonics. Um, but, you know, they're very good at kind of, in real time, evaluating their options. And they're not going to waste time, which is a beautiful thing. I, I, I It utterly drives me nuts when a staff recruits a kid who they have, like, a 2% chance of landing. Like, I get it. Sometimes you, you land that, and it's unbelievable. But, like, you know, the great D-tackle who's in Hawaii... Bama might pull him off, but Bama's a unique situation. They have Otherwise, that kid's probably staying out west. You know, and FSU liked him a ton, but they didn't fly to Hawaii because flying to Hawaii takes a whole day, maybe two away from you on the road when you can go recruit other guys who are realistic I'm, options. I'm glad FSU didn't waste their time recruiting Jaden Woodby. That would have been real stupid. Well, the first staff didn't. But, I, was trying um, to make it, I was trying to make that joke. But no, I, I think th- they're... Thank you for make, not laughing at They're it. constantly evolving... And willing to accept that sometimes you're not going to get that dude. Well, for, for context with that... Uh, like but they're the, also going to work very hard to get the dudes they want. They want and they're, and yeah. they're not going to settle either. So with, with that in mind, I want to get your thoughts on... 
right now for the class of 2019, they're still playing catch up. I think that's part. Yeah, in, in uh, terms spring, of spring went a long yeah. way to helping that. Um, they certainly laid a lot of good inroads for 20 and 21 in spring, which allows them to be basically on schedule with that bunch while yeah. they were playing catch up with. Yeah, Miami. exactly. But yeah, they were, and you see that at offensive tackle. But I think I think just for our, our listeners to get the content, you have glitter on on you, but I. I I haven't been to a strip club in months, so I don't know. I went to a strip club with my dad, and you don't remember it though. You puked seven times. No, it was, it was, I wish I could forget that. Like we lost my dad for four, like forty right. minutes. Sonom, forty minutes in, stay on topic. Um, I think I knew where he was. To, to demonstrate a good point on the whole being behind offensive tackles, a position where there's really only usually fifteen to twenty five top tier kids. Those kids are recruited for two years by mm-hmm. most schools. So Fry had a few relationships there that he's tried to continue with, but there's a lot of relationships he's tried to make that he only has a 12-month window to mm-hmm. do where other schools have had a 6- to 12-month jump on him. Yeah. So it's tough. They're going to be in a much better spot with 20 and 21 kids than they were with 19, and mm-hmm. they're in a better spot with 19 kids than they were with 18 at that position. It's just a natural order of that position. Quarterback's kind of that way. That way yeah. Walt had pre-existing relationships with Tyson and with Sam Howell, and that's the reason FSU was in so good with those guys early. But you just saw Walt go on the road and offer a 2021 quarterback in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., because that's how it works. You have to be that far ahead at certain positions. Well, that's what this camp season, I think, as we said, expectations for it. Obviously, there's priorities. You want to get a linebacker, you know, kind of get that board and offensive line. You want to think those are two. Yeah, I think offensive line is a big position. Yes, especially tackle. One, they need to figure out who they can actually get. Two, they need to figure out who fits what spots. Like, is Evan Neal now tackle? Because Mm -hmm. my opinion of him last year when I saw him play ball was that he was probably more of a left guard. guard. Yeah, but then you saw him But then I saw him in the spring and saw how he's reshaped his body and thought, hell, that kid might be able to pull off being a tackle. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you test run that. You see, and you bring other guys in who want to play D end, give them a shot there, and then maybe, you know, throw them out at offensive tackle to work out for a session of camp and then have the conversation with them about, son, you know, behind a quarterback, the highest paid position is left tackle. Mm-hmm. And you have long ass arms and a good base. Maybe you should play left tackle and see if they take to it. Some will, some won't. Jimbo Fisher said that left tackle isn't all that important. Eh, left tackle is pretty important. Put that on the list, too. No, I don't have a list. I played your game in the car ride to Nashville because we had, had nothing like better to do. I like five pages of things that didn't make sense. Because we were driving in the middle of Alabama. I had nothing better to do. Look, I have Nick Patty but I don't cap- actually, capitalized. I don't actually, that was literally the first one I think out of my mouth, in fact, was Nick Patty. Never forget the old Miss game. Evan Ingram lined up across from him. <laughs> first Never round forget. draft pick. All right, are we good? I think, um, are we done? Did we check all the boxes? I don't say you said you, someone posted the other day. I think it was I think it was Newton. No, like the cliches that bother him the most. And check all the boxes. boxes. Was one of you did it like five times today. <laughs> I can't help it. He's a teacher. I'm kinda, not. I'm not from academia. I kind of like the way it sounds coming out. You like check all the boxes. It just makes you sound like an authority. What does it mean? It's kind of innocuous. All right. Yeah, I think I, I think we're I think we're set. This was an hour. This was a good catching up. Uh, it wasn't really super structured. It never really is. But hopefully, there was some information that you guys found useful. We'll do one surrounding camps with me and Josh talking. Yeah, we'll, that, we'll have that, that one's definitely in the plans. We'll have that coming up uh, be- before. Um, guys, I'm going to start a petition for Chris to do the What the Hell podcast series. He doesn't want to. I don't know why. 
How many how many people need to say they want you to do it before you actually sit down and do it with me? What was the thing people kept asking a question about? And I responded that you're going to have to ask – you're going to have to pay the new subscription fee to do that. I don't remember what that was, but that was pretty fun. I did that a few months ago. I'm going to do that for that podcast. For me to do it, you're going to just have to pay me extra money. How many, how many people will it take of your current readership? We'll do VIP people that are already paying. How many of them need to say they want to hear it for you to, to sit down and do it? I'm not giving a number. Just, folks, just keep pressuring him. It'll eventually crack. This podcast was around 500. I don't feel like it's the appropriate time to talk about such a situation. With the Knowles 24 7 <laughs> podcast, is Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Christy for joining me. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Pressure him. Bye.